2: and I'm David Gurra. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I feel like we should have seatbelts on for this episode
4: because it's a big one. We're talking about Yellowstone, and frankly, it really does not get much bigger than this.
5: Yeah, I really think it's safe to say that Yellowstone is the most iconic national park in the country. It's the first example people think of when they think of national parks yeah. and its most notable features like geysers and bison and grizzly bears. And they've become synonymous with the National Park Service.
4: Yeah, that's definitely true. And not only is Yellowstone an American icon, but it's the second largest national park in the contiguous U.S. It's one of the most visited parks in the country with more than 4 million annual visitors. And most impressively of all, it's the oldest national park in the entire world, which is crazy. So not just the U.S. Yeah, exactly. The whole world.
5: When the park was first established in 1872, it was before any type of federally protected land was set aside anywhere on Earth. Um, no country has ever done such a thing until the U.S. has done right. it. And uh, this was decades before the National Park Service was even formed. It was also before <laughs> before Wyoming even became a state.
4: I know. Yeah, this is—it's it, really wild to think about, but it, it's fantastic. And one of the things I like the most is how— Ironic it is, then, that the world's first national park may very well be the thing that one day destroys us all, as this park sits on top of a giant supervolcano that, if it ever erupts again, will end life on Earth. Something tells me that seatbelts won't help us very much in that situation. Well, they they can't hurt, but no, they won't help. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Brad. This is Parklandia, a production of iHeartRadio. We sold our loft in Chicago, moved into an RV with our dog, Finn, and now we're traveling the country exploring America's national parks. And today's episode is about Yellowstone in Wyoming.
5: So considering how huge Yellowstone is, both geographically and historically, we thought it was fitting to split this park into two different episodes. It's our first time doing that, but we really want to do it justice and talk about our experiences with Yellowstone. So it definitely deserves a two-parter.
4: It, yeah, it really does, because there's so much here. And to really dig into it would be impossible to cram into one episode. So it's our first two-part park, fittingly. As as you can tell, Season 2 of Parkland is just full of firsts, full of little twists. But it also makes perfect sense to do this with Yellowstone. So here we go. You and I have experienced this park differently. We both visited it individually on our own at first and then together this past summer. So there's a lot to cover and a lot to spread out over these two episodes.
5: Let's just say that's miles and miles and miles of information.
4: Yeah, <laughs> a, a lot of miles. Uh, a lot but of it's acres.
5: literally massive. I mean, it's more than 2.2 2 million acres. Um, that's bigger than the states of Delaware and Rhode Island combined. Yes. And it's also larger than some countries.
4: Yeah, that's true. So long story short, be sure and fill up the gas tank before trying to tackle Yellowstone because like we said, there are lots of miles here and you're going to want to be ready for it. And the only national park larger than this actually are, are in Alaska, a lot of the Alaskan parks. And then in the contiguous U.S., there's Death Valley, which is the only one in the lower 48 states that's larger than Yellowstone. And to be quite honest, I'm exhausted just thinking about it. <laughs>
5: Yeah, but let's get into it. It's the first part episode of Yellowstone. Mm -hmm.
4: So, we'll cover more of our individual trips to Yellowstone for this episode as well. For mine, I was here first with my family, my dad, my brother, my sister, for a little outdoorsy-themed vacation a few years ago. And that was definitely life-changing to the least. One of my kind of formative national park experiences that triggered this obsession.
5: But you're going to have to stay tuned for that, because first, we need to talk about history. And that's some epic, explosive, fiery history here. Yes.
4: Yes, it is. History. So, backing way up. When fur trappers and adventurous frontiersmen first explored this region of the ever-expanding country, they were met with a landscape that was beautiful and alluring, but also terrifying and intimidating and deadly. We're talking like simmering mud pots and steaming streams, raging rivers, these explosive geysers, sulfuric springs, and wildlife so intense that it makes Jumanji look like a petting zoo, basically.
5: Yeah, I mean, these explorers just, no one believed them. When they started like documenting it and sending this back east, everyone just brushed them off.
4: Right, right. I mean, literally, it sounds absurd and over the top and like completely made up, And so it was assumed that these guys were just lying and had crazy imaginations and were basically writing fantasy novels sending to the government. But eventually, after enough of these reports came in and the government finally wised up to the fact that surely not every frontiersman has an overactive imagination, they started formalizing these exploratory expeditions to research the area themselves and see what all the fuss was about.
5: Yeah, it's kind of like the original Jurassic Park when John Hammond brings all the doubtful scientists to the island and no one thinks they'll actually see dinosaurs. But then they actually do, and everyone is, like, stunned.
4: Yeah, exactly. This place is pretty much Jurassic National Park, but instead of Dr. Grant, Dr. Malcolm, Dr. Sadler, it was another trifecta of explorers, Ferdinand V. Hayden, a painter named Thomas Moran, and a photographer named William Henry Jackson.
5: Yeah, their findings must have been huge and had some serious impact because it was less than a year later in 1872 that President Ulysses S. Grant signed documentation making Yellowstone the very first national park, uh, encompassing the land that's primarily in northwestern uh, Wyoming with little bits in Idaho and Montana as well.
4: Right. So, huge, huge news. And the trio not only provided impressive and stunning documentation, but they also argued for its protection by pointing out that the area is not suitable for farming or mining because you can't mine in hot springs or over top a geyser that's going to, you know, blow up your barn or something. So you might as well protect it, right? Yeah.
5: I mean, the first year at the, as a national park, there were only about 300 visitors, which uh, increased dramatically once the Northern uh, Pacific Railroad was completed. About a decade later, there were thousands of annual visitors, which is really incredible for the 1800s. I mean, they Mm -hmm. didn't have anything.
4: Yeah, I know. That is incredible. So even though frontiersmen didn't discover this steamy landscape until the mid-1800s, they definitely were not the first humans to roam here. Native Americans have been documented living here as far back as 11,000 years ago, most likely due to the abundance of hunting opportunities after the last ice age. Because Yellowstone is, after all, renowned for populations of bison and elk and deer, among many, many other animals. So it makes sense that this was like a hunting mecca.
5: Yeah, in the early 1800s, some of the first fur trappers to visit the region gave it the nickname Roush jean Love it. Which means Rock Yellow River, um, in reference to the yellow sandstones by the river. And thus the name, Yellowstone, was born. Yeah. And in its history, it's been as colorful as the geysers' basins ever since.
4: Yeah, I know, totally. Because it it really does have, like, this technicolored history. It's so vibrant and so um, bright and very up and down, good and bad. Vandals and poachers were big problems in the early years here as all these animals were being hunted and trees were being cut down with reckless abandon. And the minimal park ranger staff that was here just literally did not have the resources to protect such a large section of land.
5: No, things really did get out of hand. I mean, like, literally, it was like military versus civilians. And and that's until uh, President Chester A. Arthur embarked on his first presidential uh, visit to the park with a little camping trip.
4: Yes, he did. Although, if we're being honest, I think it was probably a glamping trip. I can't really imagine any president... Like camping? Maybe <laughs> they do, I'm sure they do. But I don't know. who knows? Jester A. Arthur is probably a diva. I mean, um, you know, again, assuming. I know absolutely nothing about this guy, and I think I had forgotten forgotten he was ever a president until right now, which um, you know, he's I don't remember anything he did. So <laughs> But this was good. I'm glad he got to go to Yellowstone. Um and his trip here was hugely beneficial. Because he wound up signing legislation that allotted a lot more funds for the park, which went towards employing troops to protect the park and control the amount of development that was happening. Like, it was off the charts, so they needed to do something.
5: Yeah, we learned all about General Sheridan and Troop M of the United States Cavalry while we were in Mammoth Hot Springs area of the park last summer, uh, where a bunch of historic army barracks were. Yeah. And apparently, they protected the park for 32 years, all the way up until 1918, when they handed over those duties to the recently created National Park Service.
4: Yes, they did. Because this is all new territory. This was well before the National Park Service was established. It's the first national park in the world, so they're just figuring it out for themselves and obviously taking a, a guerrilla approach to fending off these...
5: Oh, yeah, in the beginning years, like, most Vandals. superintendents only lasted, like, six months to a year, maybe. Not, and they, not like, had an a huge, huge turnover. Like, it was—no mm-hmm. one knew what they were doing, but someone had to start.
4: Yeah, and I'm glad that they pioneered that. And their sentiments are forever engraved on the iconic Roosevelt Arch by the park's north entrance, which the troops built. And the arch reads, For the benefit— and enjoyment of the people. And it's something that has gone on to symbolize national parks across the country ever since.
5: Yeah, and after this quick break, we're gonna get into some of Yellowstone's colorful and famous geographic
4: history.
1: From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again
4: geography. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Brad. This is Parklandia. And today we're talking about Yellowstone National Park in northwestern Wyoming and little bits of Montana and Idaho, but mostly Wyoming. (laughs) Yes. So of all the regions and landscapes in America and really the world in general, few are as dynamic and epic as Yellowstone. With its famed supervolcano, geysers, hot springs, and mud pots, it's a place that Definitely sounds like it was dreamed up by George Lucas or something. It just does not really sound real, which is why the government thought early frontiersmen were, you know, fantasizing about this and creating, just like lying, because it doesn't sound like an actual place.
5: Yeah, it's one of those places that you really have to see to believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when we just try to describe it to people, like they look at us sideways like a little, like, like Finn does, like, oh. Yeah, they're and, like, oh, <laughs> they're you're, like, you're lying. Mm, yeah, you're... I don't know. What are you saying? And uh, so it, it's, even today, it's still unbelievable. And that's so crazy because we have photos and videos and yeah. all of it. And, um, you know, and growing up, you hear and learn so much about Yellowstone that it actually seems almost too surreal and it mythical. Does. Um, yeah. It almost doesn't make sense, and that's something that, like, something like this would exist on this planet.
4: I know. It's, it's wild. We're lucky to have it. You got it. its one of those places you have to see for yourself, and you have to—honestly, you have to smell for yourself because it's got an aroma.
5: Yeah, we've it's gone how many times, and I still don't feel like I understand Yellowstone yet, <laughs> which is crazy. No,
4: I know. There's, there's so much. There's a lot to take in. And it all kind of starts with the heart of the park, the Yellowstone caldera. Caldera, of course, is the collapsed remnants of a volcano. And this is the largest of its kind on the entire continent, clocking in at a somewhat terrifying 30 by 45 miles. And today, this caldera is the site of Yellowstone Lake, this enormous, pristine lake that is so utterly serene-looking that you'd really never expect that there's a supervolcano lurking underneath not to get all, like, scary or neurotic or anything.
5: No, not at all. We should probably stop scaring our listeners, because it's all going to be okay, guys.
4: Uh, totally. I mean, probably. I don't want to—I can't, I can't guarantee that. I don't want to be held responsible. <laughs> I mean, if we're being, if we're being honest about the supervolcano, and I'll just come right out and give it to you straight, the supervolcano is still considered to be technically active and dormant, although it's only erupted three times in the last two million years The most recent one was 640,000 years ago, and it was strong enough to make Vesuvius and Mount St. Helens seem like blips on the radar, like absolutely nothing. So even though it technically could erupt again, the chances are very, very slim that any of us will ever live to experience it, thankfully.
5: (laughs) Yeah, and on the plus side, the Supervolcano is what makes Yellowstone the incredible wild place that it is today. Without it, there would be, wouldn't be would be any geysers or hot springs that make the park what it is. I mean, Yellowstone actually has more than 10,000 of mm-hmm. these thermal features, which are all beautiful and eerie reminder of the volcano that's right below you. And it's crazy because, like, what? Mm-hmm. It's it's supposed to be, like, erupting, like, any time now, plus or minus 10,000 years. I know. So it could <laughs> erupt in 10,000
4: years or 10 minutes from now. Yeah, we don't you know. You might never hear this.
5: You, you know what? We might not finish this episode because it erupts. <laughs> I know.
4: That would actually be kind of poetic, but... Um, as long as the supervolcano keeps doing this thing and fueling these geysers and not wiping out life as we know it, I'm fine with it.
5: Yeah, nowadays the best places to witness these amazing thermal features are at places like Mammoth Hot Springs, the Goris Geyser Basin, the Old Faithful, Grand Prismatic Springs, West Thumb Geyser Basin. I mean, there's so much more to talk about, but I guess we'll talk about that in part 2.
4: So, yeah, you'll have to stay tuned if the world is still around. Trails. Now I'm going to start talking a little bit about my first time to Yellowstone, and I was actually visiting the park for the first time with some family as part of this semi-annual nature-themed family vacation thing that my dad had the idea to start, and I'm so glad he did. Yes. And we were like ruminating over like which park should we do, which part of the country should we start this like kind of quasi-tradition at. And we all agreed that Yellowstone slash Grand Teton was the perfect place to do this and create this experience together because none of us had been, and obviously it doesn't get more iconic and quintessential than Yellowstone. So It really all, doesn't. No, it doesn't. Not so we're all instantly obsessed. And we coordinated this trip where it was about a week, and we all flew out to Jackson Hole, uh, flew into there, which is super convenient. I think it's like in Grand Teton National Park. And then we just, we got a rental car. We spent a few days in Grand Teton at this beautiful lodge in Teton Village and visited Jackson, like the actual city or town uh, for a few days as well. And then the second half of that trip, of that week, was Yellowstone. So we drove... From Teton Village up past the rest of Grand Teton into Yellowstone National Park. And then we stayed in West Yellowstone, which is like the far northwestern portion of the park.
5: Yeah, I'd say it's probably like a two hour drive oh if you God. go through Yellowstone yeah. to get to West Yellowstone, which is yeah, pretty crazy.
4: I know. It really, the first day we're like, wow, this is the gigantic park. And it really makes you realize that because it takes forever to get from point A to point B.
5: And one of my favorite things was, like, you sent me this photo of you guys. And it was, like, your first, like, bison herd as I was crossing the road. And there's, like, this beautiful shot of, like, your dad in the driver's seat. Oh, yes. Yeah. in the passenger seat. Oh, it's beautiful. And this, like, scenic photo behind it. And mm-hmm. I just love that one.
4: I know. And it's kind of misty out or foggy or something. So it's, like, these gigantic animals just looming in the distance, and lots of them, I mean, we're just right in the middle. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry for
5: interrupting, but I just had to bring up that problem. No, it's
4: important. So, West Yellowstone is actually in a portion of the park that's in Montana. West Yellowstone is kind of the gateway. It's like um, the, the northwestern entrance, and it's this adorable little like touristy town that's hustling and bustling in the summer months. And we were there like mid-September, so things were somewhat winding down, but still very lively and adorable. I loved it there. We had this cute little cabin. And on our way up towards West Yellowstone, the very first thing we did was stop at Old Faithful, which I think makes a lot of sense as the first Yellowstone experience because everybody knows what Old Faithful is. And it's right up there with like the Grand Canyon and Statue of Liberty as like these um, it, like all important Americana sites and activities, and we went there. Had to f- pretty much force our way through the crowds to get a good view because it's very crowded. The, the park in general is pretty is very crowded, but Old Faithful is just like swarming with people. It's like a mob scene.
5: Yeah, it is. So all day, <laughs> yeah, it is.
4: So we went into the visitor center. My brother and I got our national parks books stamped. And I think my dad bought um, some sort of book and or game. I want to say we got National Parks Yahtzee there. Mm. And we played that a little later in the cabin in West Yellowstone. Although, I don't don't know what makes it National Parks. Yahtzee is like a pretty straightforward numbers-based dice game. So, I don't understand that. Yeah, there's nothing. Like um, one
5: guys or two guys or three guys or six.
4: (laughs) I don't know. Whatever. But it works. It works. I, I love a good theme even with it. Doesn't make sense. And so we did all faithful and then kind of checked in and got our bearings in West Yellowstone, explored the town, which has some of these like super cute little like restaurants and cafes. We would like start every morning by going to this little coffee shack thing. It's like not a standalone shop per se. It's like this little window that's on at this intersection and there's just Lovely woman working every morning.
5: Yes, that's the one that we went to we went, yeah, this um, on our trip together.
4: But yeah, this I is
5: where it. the it all originated. This, from. Where this is where you got started. started with it and obsessed with it because yep. you're like, we have to go every day. Like every it's morning.
4: Fi- like, there's nothing super special like the food or coffee necessarily. Like one day you specific. rushed
5: me so much that we got there before it even opened.
4: We're fiddling yeah. our thumbs, waiting. Like, please, (laughs) serve us coffee.
5: Give us coffee. Yeah.
4: So they have coffee and then a very limited, like, selection of food items. But, like, they have, like, Huckleberry bars because Huckleberries are huge in this part of the country. So you you could find Huckleberry anything and everything in the different restaurants and bakeries and stuff. And they had stuff like that and then, like, probably banana bread and scones, you know, kind of basic items. They just had
5: all those little cute little things right there in the corner. Right.
4: And then bagels. And I remember my brother ordered a bagel, but like he doesn't like cream cheese. And he asked for butter. And she was like, I don't have butter, so I'll just give you this dry bagel. And then he had a dry bagel. Um it was a very exciting. I morning. love that's a climax <laughs> to that story yeah, right there. That's right. for sure. I kind of built that up, making it seem like something crazy was gonna happen, but no, he just didn't have cream cheese. And I think our favorite that the place we went to more than like I think three nights in a row maybe, was this place called the Buffalo Bar, which is this, essentially it's a saloon. Like it felt like a saloon with like pool tables inside and big, I think fake taxidermy and then a big gigantic like Buffalo replica in the middle of the dining room. And Yeah, that is we a big it.
5: cool mm-hmm. bar. Yeah, very cool Wild, Wild West-esque.
4: Bar. It is, yeah. But it's like still kind of like cl- clean and, modern-ish, so we loved it. And I don't think we really ate there. We mostly went there for, like, after-dinner drinks, like Wyoming whiskey and stuff like that. So all these great things in West Yellowstone and a great place to, like, kind of get your start every morning because you're close to a ton. And what my family and I did was we made sure we stocked up on bear spray. First things first. We didn't want to, like, wander around Yellowstone without that. Especially my dad was, like, very... Adamant, and he always had it at the ready. And we did a bunch of different things in in the span of like three or four days. I feel like we really maximized it.
5: Yeah, oh, that's great.
4: Yeah. So one of my favorite things was we did the Grand Prismatic Springs area and the Fairy Falls Trail, which is one of the best trails ever. I I, lo- I love it. I think that was my favorite one that we did in Yellowstone, and one of my favorite trails, like just in general period.
5: Was that the one that you like took me on this dramatic long Mm -hmm. hike where you said it was like, oh, it's only like two and a half miles and it ended up being like seven?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I remembered it differently because when we did it with my family, I thought it was I remember it being much shorter, but it was action-packed because we saw a ton of bison and a fox.
0: Yeah, unfortunately we didn't
4: see it on ours, but uh, that's another episode. Right. I honestly don't remember seeing I mean, I don't remember it being as long as it wound up being this past summer with you, but It's great. It's like super peaceful and scenic and you go through a variety of different terrains from this like super tall, thin ribbon of a waterfall through these pine forests and then these wide open meadows, which is on this trip where we saw like a huge herd of bison and it was a little unnerving. We wound up like cutting off the trail and going around them, um, which was also nerve wracking because I'm like, what if we wind up going off trail and then like stumbling into a bear or Like, a lone bison. Well, you had bear so that's okay. Yeah, true. (laughs) And we did wind up stumbling into, like, a lone bison that was just lying right next to this tree. And I was so scared. (laughs) It was my brother and I were, like, kind of ahead a little bit. We were, like, several paces ahead of my sister and dad. And we were talking. And I remember, I don't know exactly what led to this conversation, but we were talking about, like, Disney World. Because I guess I just talk about that all the time. And... I was saying to my brother, I'm like, yeah, I really like want to explore Animal Kingdom more or something. I was probably like, you know, just thinking about animals. So yeah. And then like as soon as I say that, we see this bison and I freak out and kind of yelp, and my dad panics because he think I saw a bear.
5: <laughs> I can only <sighs> imagine this. It's
4: no ordeal. Yeah,
5: yeah, neurotic messes.
4: <laughs> yeah, it wound up being fine. The bison <laughs> didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. it was just yeah. chilling there.
5: And in that area, though, you do have to be careful if you do walk off trail because yeah, there know. are geysers, and you do yeah. not want to fall into one of those because people have been falling into Goodness, them, no. and you know that's just not good. You will yeah. get burnt. You will not be happy, and it will take a long time I mean, to recover. You, you might die. Nature, you might not so, recover. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, um, you know you got to be careful when you're doing that. So I know where you you pointed out where you were walking yeah. off trail, and it wasn't like. A half a mile off trail, no, just, just like a bit. twenty feet, thirty feet, like into different areas. Right. So it wasn't anything crazy.
4: Yeah, exactly. And then we finished that trail by doing this gigantic loop um, that brought us back to the Grand Prismatic Spring, which is easily one of the most popular sites in the park. You kind of go up Stunning. to this overlook, and from up there, you can see down into this like incredible, like almost rainbow-colored spring with these super bright greens, blues, yellows, oranges. It's Insane! Like, I don't understand how this is like this, how it's real. And it's massive and just, like, billowing a little bit of steam. By mid-afternoon, when the weather's the temperature's warmed up enough, the steam dissipates enough where you could see the spring really well versus in the morning when the air is still really cold, the steam could, like, be too much and it's hard to see. So I would definitely recommend going, like, mid-afternoon like we did. And that was great. Another thing we did was we had a little picnic in the Lamar Valley area. Just like rolling meadows, beautiful little ponds and lakes. Didn't see any animals out there, even though I know we could have. And we were kind of hoping to, you know, from a safe distance. Yeah. And we went it wound up just being this nice little peaceful picnic by some pond at the end of the trail. And it was, it was great. And we also did the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone for photos, and then a little hike by a waterfall. That's that's <clears> another <throat> popular area. Yes, this like raging river, the Yellowstone River, and it's lined with these like explosive waterfalls and great panoramic views from these overlooks and little trails that kind of run along the river.
5: Did not you guys kayak on that trip as well?
4: Yes, we did. So I think the last day, last full day in Yellowstone, we booked a kayaking trip on Yellowstone Lake, which we're all super yes. excited about. So you went fishing on Yellowstone Lake. Yep. We didn't go fishing, but we, like, did a kayak trip. And for that, you stay pretty close to the shore. They don't really let – I don't think they let you at all, like, go out into the Main middle like, Yeah, because, like
5: – Yeah, like, I got to back. go out there and just see it, but we mm-hmm. were on a boat, you know, so it, it was a lot – Easier to get there and back, and I feel like a lot of people would get exhausted out there and not realize oh, sure. it, and it would take a long time to get back. So it's a right. good thing that they're helping their kayakers kayak safe.
4: Yes, because they they said like it could get unexpectedly windy, and the waves can get choppy out there. And the main problem is the lake is freezing, so like dangerously cold. So like if you capsize, it's hard to get back in, and if you're out in the middle of the lake, you're like. Screwed. <laughs> yeah,
5: and I thought like, but I really thought the main problem was about your jacket because didn't your uh, guide
4: think it was a um, broom's jacket? Yeah. Why would I be wearing? Do you, a you know? Jacket? Do you know
5: who this person is? Yeah. So you obviously I obviously don't.
4: I have this jacket, this really nice. What is it called? Like a bomber jacket? Is that what yeah. that is? Okay. So it's this like slick black bomber jacket with um, this yellow letter B on one sleeve. And a lemon on the other sleeve. So I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. And then on the back is a song lyric that says winners don't quit on themselves. So it's a Beyonce jacket, obviously, from the representing like the lemonade album, and the lyric is from one of the songs.
5: And this guy full-on thought it was a
4: Bruins jacket. Yeah, he's like, okay, I like your jacket. Is it a Bruins jacket? I'm like, <laughs> Winners don't um, quit on themselves. Right. I like, can't No, sing, it's not so a don't. Bruins jacket. Why would I? Yeah.
5: <laughs> Let's actually strike that.
4: I so <laughs> I told him, I was like, no, it's the Beyonce jacket. And then he just kind of like quietly nodded and stopped talking to me for like the rest of the trip. And it was, But like the trip was really fun. It was not that windy, fortunately. So it was a nice, calm, easy pace. We got to see a lot. And my favorite part was like, You get to kayak along the shore close enough to the West Thumb geyser basin, so you get to see some thermal activity as well, like not geysers, but hot springs and this billowing steam and some of the like technicolored pools that in certain portions are like dripping and flowing into the lake. So that was really beautiful and really cool. And then from there, I believe it was when we were like all settled back into the car and driving back to West Yellowstone, we found ourselves in the middle of a bison stampede, like literal stampede.
5: Oh, was that the photo?
4: No, no. That was a different different one. (laughs) But There's a lot of these. Yeah, so there there was traffic, which happens a lot in in Yellowstone. It was standstill traffic, and we didn't know what was going on, just impatiently waiting there. And then we start to see bison walking down the side of the road, like a lot of bison. And they were walking at at a slow pace, so... Me and my sister roll down our windows because we were on the side where the bison were, and we we're gonna like take video of it. And as soon as we start taking video, they start to like run, like this whole herd of them are running surrounding our car, not just us, but like everyone on the road. And I remember it was amazing because the video turned out it wound up looking like a found footage film or something, like my <laughs> video, because it's like I start to take the video and then they charge and I'm like, oh, and it gets all shaky and then I scream and you get to see up, like, very close how huge these animals are. Like, if they hit our car, we would have been <laughs> Dan- um, damaged, to say the least. Like, it could, they could probably flip cars if they, like, charged head Oh, yeah, they're like on. tanks. Yeah, they're the largest land mammal in the country.
5: I they can go really so fast.
4: So, they can go really fast. They can run, like, m- much faster than humans. So, you do not want to get into a a race with them by any means either. So that was my yellow steering experience with my family. Clearly epic and intimidating and colorful and just all of it was thoroughly life-changing. That was our first time doing something like this as And if you just think
5: that these are from one trip. I know. These are just one trip of Mm -hmm. ours, each of ours. And we hit on some of the same stuff. We didn't. But it's just so, so big. I mean, it yeah what would you say is the best time to go?
4: The best time to visit Yellowstone is I liked when I visited it was mid September um it was kind of chilly but not cold yet and peak summer season was dwindling, so it wasn't as crowded as it is in like July August, so we didn't have to worry about that too much, just like the periodic traffic jams and and whatnot, but it was all manageable and Beautiful and all the animals are out and about, and it's insane. Comfortable. It's yeah. like extremely yeah, comfortable, comfortable that
5: uh, time of the year. But luckily, the park mm-hmm. is open all year round. I mean, it's basically a Game of Thrones esque style landscape from late fall to early spring, and yeah. most roads are closed. So the only way to get into the park is on a snowmobile. So yes. you can go cross country skiing, you can go on the snow coach tours. Um, those are very popular.
4: Yeah, they are really popular in the winter months. And during this time period, most facilities and lodges are closed as well. So it's definitely much, much quieter in kind of a creepy way, but also serene and peaceful. And I know I would really love to experience Yellowstone in the winter sometime. That's high on my list because that would be like visiting another... It'd be like a whole nother park at that point. And that would be amazing. And then you would also... Not have to worry about bears because they're hibernating, so you can put the bear spray away. I a think. future is possible, yeah. We would just have to do it like not in an RV, in an RV because, yeah, we are not ready um,
5: for that. No, mm-hmm. we don't need everything to freeze. <laughs> no, we don't need that. Yeah, the only roads that are open year round are the north entrance road, uh, northeast entrance road, and the mammoth tower road of the grand loop. Yep,
4: yeah, so pretty limited, pretty quiet, and I'm sure it's mind-blowingly beautiful, as everything in Yellowstone always is. After this quick break, we're going to wrap up part one of our Yellowstone episodes by talking a little bit more about the animals here and the ecology of the park.
0: Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about Indigenous women's disappearances and the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Hi, I'm Matt.
5: And I'm Brad. This is Parklandia.
4: And this week's episode is about Yellowstone National Park and northwestern Wyoming. Ecology. And right now we're going to get into a little bit more detail about the wildlife here since it's a pretty big deal. (laughs) Yeah,
5: and it's really crazy because in the past couple of decades, Yellowstone has taught scientists a lot about how food webs and ecological systems work. It's um, an ecosystem that runs on energy from the sun— A plant turns solar energy into food for itself, but then that plant is eaten by a cricket, which is then eaten by a mouse, which is then eaten by a snake, which is then eaten by a hawk. When the hawk dies, its body provides food for bacteria and fungi, which then in turn feeds plants. All of these animals represent what are called tropic levels, what scientists now call links in the food chain.
4: And as representatives of these trophic groups eat each other, energy is passed all around the ecosystem. But what happens when one member of this food web is removed from the system? Yellowstone has actually been ground zero for a sort of unintentional experiment regarding what scientists have come to refer to as trophic cascades.
5: Yeah, and trophic cascades occur when predators hunting their prey keeps the number of prey de- animals down, passing on the savings to the next trophic level. Whatever the prey animal eats then has a better shot at survival and on and on and on down the line. Right. Um, And in Yellowstone, what they did was they actually, like, reintroduced the gray wolves back into
4: Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. And this is a perfect example of what we're talking about. So in regards to wolves, like, wolves are scary, right? Like, humans have never really liked them, which is kind of weird because they're – the direct wild ancestors of man's best friends, domesticated dogs. The fact that they're fast, carnivorous, and they move around in intimidating packs, I think, plus they eat livestock. They can eat like 20 pounds of meat in a single sitting. This is a this is what's led humans to create this like terrifying mythology around wolves, with things like Little Red Riding Hood, Peter and the Wolf, The Boy Who Cried Wolf, et cetera, et cetera.
5: Historically, gray wolves have ranged around two-thirds of the modern-day United States home but they've been driven out of most of it now. Um, They were hunted out of Yellowstone by 1926.
4: Yeah, and then in 1995, however, the Park Service released 14 gray wolves from Canada into Yellowstone after 70 years of a wolfless ecosystem there. This decision, of course, was controversial and made a lot of humans mad, but the ecological results were immediate and honestly pretty startling. Yeah,
5: in fact, what a lot of ecologists uh, think the wolves did in Yellowstone was prevent elk and deer, some of their favorite foods, from eating all the plants, especially near rivers.
4: Yeah, the wolves kept the deer and elk from denuding the river valleys, which promoted the growth of trees in the riparian areas. Riparian meaning the special groups of plants that grow in floodplains of rivers and streams. So this meant more beavers which are animals that create special mini-habitats for other animals like otters, fish, amphibians, and so forth, and more migratory birds visited as well. The wolves killed or intimidated the coyotes, which meant there were then more rabbits and mice around, which lured hawks and other birds of prey to the area. So huge effects. And not only all that, but it increased stabilization of the riverbanks, narrowed river channels, which makes for more different kind of habitat in Yellowstone as well. So it had this huge ripple effect across pretty much every, everything, every animal, every environment.
5: Yeah. And the simple truth is that the effects the wolves uh, took on Yellowstone is complex. And this idea of traffic cascade being the saving grace of the park's ecosystem is a controversial one among scientists. Uh, we basically can't replicate the study because there's not another Yellowstone to replicate it in. Mm-hmm. So we may never know exactly what effect wolves had on Yellowstone. However, it definitely taught us that the human mythology around wolves being evil and dangerous villains deserving eradication is a very subjective one.
4: Right. Yeah. They can have a lot of benefits. Yeah.
5: This is something that is very complex and hard to kind of just dive into, right? Because like they said, you can't just replicate Mm -hmm. it over and over again because even if you reintroduced wolves into Michigan, I'm just using a random place. I mean, yeah. It, it's The ecosystem is so different there, and the cycle of life and the hunting cycles, they're so different that it wouldn't actually create a correct study.
4: Yeah, that's true. But then when you also think about how like, Wells used to roam around two-thirds of the U.S., like, they're clearly acclimated to a majority of this country, and they have every natural right to be there. In a way, so it's it's weird that suddenly humans are in this position where they're controlling it and dictating where wolves are relocated to and then witnessing what happens. So it's it's strange because like they were here yeah. before people were and, they, and because they've been gone yeah, and, and now they're being reintroduced. Right.
5: or reintroduced. It's like but there are different species of wolves. I think they're the closest to, but you can't have the exact if they didn't stay in that ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the same thing with the bison. They were reintroduced into a national park this year. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Which one was that?
4: that? Well, they moved more bison to Badlands yes. and released them there. So, like, this isn't an entirely new concept. This has happened before Yellowstone. This will happen in the future in other places. So,
5: but that will have an impact know? on that national park.
4: Oh, yeah, and it sounds like it's going great in Yellowstone. So, kudos to the wolves. Absolutely. I, we we did not see any wolves in Yellowstone. Regretfully, I would love to. See
5: I know that's a that one takes a lot of patience hard. and like mm. that's yeah. definitely something that I would love to do. Is like just slow down a little bit because we normally like kind of go through national parks and try to get everything in, and that's why we revisit national parks as well, though, because we yeah. see the things that we miss. But Yellowstone is one of those national parks that we have both been to multiple times now
4: mm-hmm.
5: for multiple days at a time. I mean, I think we both have a combined maybe 20, 30 days in that park, and we still haven't even scratched the surface. Oh, no. Yeah. The What is it? One percent of Yellowstone is actually seen by uh, the tourists that go there. One <laughs> percent. So there's so much in that ecosystem, that wildlife, that diversity that we have to re-explore, and that is why we're even continuing with a part two Oh of gosh, Yellowstone yeah. National Park later this season. Right. It won't be the next episode, so you're going to have to stay tuned. You're going to have to stand your toes yeah. and get ready for more and more of that beautiful, beautiful place that Yellowstone is.
4: Yeah, a bit of a cliffhanger. But also the exciting thing too is we'll be able to incorporate like our RV experience there because neither of us were in an RV when we first visited. So that to be fun to Box talk about.
5: trucks, lodges, <laughs> hotels. Yeah. Inside the park, outside the park. Where do you want to stay? Since both of our first trips were pre RV, we're going to save our RV segment for part two. And since uh, we visited together, we are in our RV and experienced it from a totally different perspective.
4: Exactly. So for that reason and a bunch of other things, I'm excited for part two because this really is one of those enormous dynamic parks that feels completely fresh and new upon each visit. And it feels like you're visiting a different place when you're in an RV as well. That's for sure. So that'll be fun to talk about and incorporate.
5: Yeah. For now, though, we hope you have been inspired to visit or revisit this ultimate national park. It's a place we have loved individually and together. It's been inspiring, and it's just put me in complete shock. It's such a truly special place.
4: Yeah, it really is. And just remember, it could blow at any moment. Good night. You've been listening to Parklandia, a show about national parks. Parklandia is a production of iHeartRadio.
5: Created by Matt Kerouac, Brad Kerouac, and Christopher Haziotis.
4: Produced and edited by Mike Johns. Our executive producer is Christopher Haziotis. Our researcher is Jesslyn Shields.
5: A special thanks goes out to Gabrielle Collins, Krista Waters, and the rest of the Parklandia crew.
4: And hey, listeners, if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people like you find our show.
5: You can keep up with us on social media as well. Check out our photos from our travels on Instagram at ParklandiaPod and join in on the conversation in our Facebook group, Parklandia Rangers. For
4: more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
5: And as always, thank you for listening.